Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 54th episode of Yes Sir HR. My name is Mark, and we are with... Yeah, you're with me, Dennis. I know we've had a couple of weeks off, but we're still alive, and uh, the show goes on. Yeah, it's funny how after hitting one year's worth of episodes, uh, and then... Uh, we decide to take a break and then work life gets ahead of us and then we are a bit behind, as I would suppose, but it's good to be back. Uh, I hope you have been keeping yourself well for the past few weeks. Yeah, yeah, funny enough, as you know, um, I'm coming back to Asia in um, January and um, trying to get down the gym, got lots of work on at the moment, so really been swamped over because I'm trying to clear stuff so that Whilst I'll be working while I'm over there, that um, um, I'll clear me desk as much as I can here. Right. Okay. Uh, it's interesting for me because for the past few weeks that we have not been uh, recording because, uh, like, as I said, we've been busy. Uh, I've had actually had three people come up to me and said, uh, and yes, that I actually counted three people who come up to me and said that they have found our podcast and they're actually listening to it, which was quite amazing for me, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like anything else. Um, it always takes a while for something to kind of catch on. Um, a few people um, have mentioned to me that, you know, they've looked at some of the work that we've done and like it. And I've mentioned the podcast channel and they've just not heard of it. And when I say, yes, sir, chair, like, you know, it, they're not familiar. But eventually I do think it will get around because we've now got a very meaty, um, resource on education, all aspects of practice. So I think just, just you know, keep the keep the quality going, keep the relevance going, and um, it'll build from there. Right. Okay. Cool. So let's do some. Maybe let's dive straight into it today, uh, because after all, there is the World Cup that is happening, uh, and for posterity's sake, it is Germany who's going to play Japan. So we're going to try and get this done before they kick off. Uh, I know uh, Dennis is not a, a Germany fan, although he must be chuffing uh, with England's six-two win over who? Who did they beat? Uh... Um, it was um, who was it? Was it Iran? Yeah. Oh, Iran. Okay, okay. Yeah. Did you watch the shocking defeat by Argentina? Yeah, I've, I've watched most of it. Um, I try to work my. I mean, apart from work, I watch football. I mean, um, so I try to obviously catch the World Cup. Um, yeah. Um, it's it. That's what's so good about football is that you can get results like that. I mean, in rugby, and I'm not knocking rugby at all, but you never get kind of um, Canada beating New Zealand or Australia. They might give them a bit of a game for twenty minutes, but the very fact that uh, you know a side who's what lower than fifty in the world can beat you know one of the best sides in the world on a given night. And if I look at the England side, we're probably as good as five or six other sides who are probably in the same. Um, camp but anybody can win this world cup you wouldn't want to put money on anybody yeah cool well i'm not anyway <laughs> okay so let's jump straight into it and today's uh episode we are going to talk a little bit about school appraisal uh and i like this because i think you were uh talking about a good possible title and we have decided to call today's uh podcast episode uh the good the bad and the ugly on school appraisal. yeah okay so maybe let's 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 take a step back and try and uh, set the context a little bit for our discussion. Uh, in Singapore, which you have been part of actually when you were here, uh, part of uh, doing an external validation for our school appraisal system called the School Excellence Model or SEM, if I'm not wrong. Uh, yeah, I think over a period of eight or nine years, yeah. yeah. So I think what they did was they actually, the Ministry of Education came and asked uh, yourself and myself to be part of an external validation team uh, to go into the schools uh, and then provide some kind of uh, uh, appraisal on how well the school is doing based on a certain set of standards. Uh, and that, it, even then, that was, I think, close to almost 10, 15 years ago, uh, was, in my opinion, already ahead uh, of its time. Now, I'll tell you why. So, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, when I was younger, and when uh, when it meant to be, uh, when it was announced that it would be appraisal, and this was when I was a student, uh, you would see every teacher with panic and fear in their eyes uh, because the school inspectors would be coming. And yes, that's the term they use, school inspectors. That's so right. When, yeah. yeah. So when they came, 
Uh, every one of us was expected to be prim and proper. There was no nonsense. We were briefed beforehand. We were warned beforehand, not only briefed, but warned beforehand. Um, and yeah, and we were supposed to, you know, answer questions, raise our hands, uh, ask, uh, speak softly, uh, uh, you know, stop monkeying around. Uh, and, and from what I also understand, many of the teachers had to submit some of their, in, in the good old days of the exercise books uh, and the workbooks, because they were supposed to be inspected by the, uh, yeah, supposed to be inspected by the school inspectors. And then once they leave after three or four days, everybody breathes a sigh of relief for half a day. And then the panic starts again because the report will come in. And that's when the, I, the principal either will be beaming with joy or be getting really, really worried and then putting pressure on all the teachers again. Is that somewhat similar to your experience eh? I uh, so you are um uh word for word yes okay so <laughs> nice to know that even in England it was something like that <laughs> ah well I think this is the interesting thing about um what we might be talking about because um there was a report um Times Education Commission report this year right and it referred to the system that we have here um which is called Ofsted. It referred to it as rancid. Wow. Now, Why? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think for all the reasons that you, you mentioned, but it's much. it goes much deeper than that. And that's what I think we can explore today. Um, I think let's talk about the Singapore experience because okay. it's well documented now. And okay. I mean, there are still people that want to take issues with this because there's always people in the West who want to take issues with Singapore. And as you know, I'm Singapore's uh, number one fan, cultural <laughs> attache. Yeah, fan. I mean, it's kind of, I kind of find it really laughable sometimes when I hear people talking about Singapore. And I do my best to not lose my temper with them sometimes. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of, like you, we are kind of quite stoic and we're evidence-based and, you know, if people are talking ridiculously, uh, there's probably not even much point about even giving them the evidence. So, but we are evidence-based. So um, let's look at the Singapore story as I um, remember. Um, right. When we got involved in the um, school excellence mod model, um, there was a culture behind it and it was a culture of, well, look, um, teaching is a challenging job. We know that um, teachers are probably the most single important factor in um, educational quality. And the second thing is leadership. If you've got good teachers, you've got good leadership. Yeah, it's nice to have nice premises and high tech. And I used to kind of uh, notice that in Singapore, yeah, I mean, okay, it's got probably the highest um, investment um, in education as a society than anywhere in the world, with the possible exception of Finland and maybe one or two other places. So, and there's a reason for that because you, you, you know, you don't have a lot of natural resources; it's human resources. But the, um, I think Singapore went on a journey of saying, well, okay, if we're going to have the best education system in the world, we have got to look at all of the things that are likely to make a good education system. And one is you've got to have quality teachers. And if you look at professional development, I think we did a podcast on it, Mark. I mean, you get 100 hours of professional development, correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, yep. we are offered 100 hours uh, yeah. of professional development. Um, but I think it's also more if possible. Okay. And also, there's always going to be admin and red tape in education, you know, for various reasons in various things. But you have, over the years, been trying to reduce administrative load. Is that true? Uh, yes, we are trying to do that. Right. And also, you encourage teachers to be researched. Is it not the case that all or most teachers are encouraged to look at their practice, look at ways in which they can understand it better, enhance it, work collaboratively, develop learning communities? Is that not the case? Yes, it is. But isn't that the case for most or if not all educational systems? <laughs> OK. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean um, there, there's, the, there's the desire to do that. Oh, yeah, but it's a question of, there's, there's a couple of things, isn't there? There's a the desire to do it, uh, yeah. and there's the operational realities around it, right? Yeah. Um, I think um, there's very big systemic difference.
for society and um, the U UK and other societies that make um, these things much more difficult to do. I mean, if you look at the attrition rates, I was looking at the attrition rates for teachers in the UK. I think it came up in our previous um, podcast. Uh, the... Uh, the attrition rates in teaching, I think, amongst the highest of any attrition rates of any other occupational group and the stress on teachers and school leaders, school management is incredibly high also. And I think there's just too much stuff that has to be done um, that's administrative, that is to do with kind of issues to do with equality and the level of political correctness that's running through the system, if somebody says something and someone takes an offence, there's got to be an inquiry. So around the idea of focusing on good pedagogy, uh, you know, and good curriculum development, it appears to have been caught up in a kind of web of, I would say, tertiary and very distracting um, areas that are seen as important in one context, which... I didn't notice um, in, in, in Singapore as being a major factor. Um, so I think that's a big factor. You uh, In Singapore now, you've got teachers uh, who are well-paid, well-trained. You've got lead, uh, principals who are well-trained, um, not just in terms of competence, but in terms of kind of attributes, character attributes, leadership, integrity. The funding's there. You haven't got massive issues to do with things that are very prevalent in the UK education system. And also, you uh, I think you have John Atty as your main or a main advisor for research. You're really implementing uh, front-edge pedagogic um, approaches to learning. And th there's the, there is a much more, there's a much greater, in my opinion, and I'll stick my neck out here, uh, a much greater openness I speak to people in schools in England and you know, it's just riddled with fear, apprehension in many cases. I don't hear lots of good stories coming out of England on educational systems, really. And um, I think, um, as um, Michael Fullan um, said, that education is in disarray. And I think uh, looking at the stats in England um, and what comes out of England, you know, I'm using that as a as a benchmark here. Um, it's not, I mean, in many schools, not all schools, the schools in all countries, I would say, where there are some excellent schools, some excellent people working in those schools and good practices. But it's a question of, and I think this is where Singapore really scored highly, is let's not have excellent schools, let's have an excellent education system. And I think because it that's what it's seeking to do. And the teachers know that they're not expected necessarily to be perfect, but they're expected to be thoughtful professionals who are going to continually develop. And hopefully, you know, they'll get better and better. Um, and when the school, when I worked with the SEN model, we didn't go into the school, you know, with suits on, you know, the men in, women in black going, well, let's find something wrong and fill our report up. It's a little bit like your police system compared to what I see in the UK. Um, it's not about increasing the number of people we invest. It's about reducing real crime. Uh, um it, it, it almost kind of seems that um, it's that they're completely different paradigms. The and the idea of school inspection in the UK, using that word, was one of going in, listening to teachers, and teachers being able now in Singapore was certainly my experience to actually say, look, we are struggling with trying to teach this, or we're trying to do that, or th these are things that we're looking at, and these are uh, our frames, and this is what we think would be good. What do you think? And uh, I felt it was a collaborative thing. You know, when I was involved in it, I didn't see teachers scared. I spoke to students and the students were lively, bubbly. You know, it, it, it just felt like, you know, we're on a journey collaboratively to make a better school system. Schools as learning organisations and the, the research community in Singapore, the political community, the educational community, all saying, well, let, let, let's share things, let's solve problems, let's look at what evidence we have, let's look at good practices globally, let's look at how we collaborate. And whereas I think the English system has been one of hubris and 
in many senses, necrosis. And I think it's <laughs> really gotten... Yeah, really. And um, I think everybody knows that in England. It's like a Leonard Cohen song, you know, the, the ship's sinking, the captain's drunk. Everybody knows, but no, nobody wants to say it out of fear. So I think there's massive fear um, of school appraisal in many, in many um, places. That's the mentality in the UK. Maybe there's... Really Oh, no, it's uh, yeah. Um, that's I think my comparison with Singapore with uh, the UK, and these are generalizations, of course. There's you know, it's not going to run across all schools, all institutions, but I think we have to speak of generalities. And certainly, what Fulham has said, and certainly what the TES Commission says, it's not, it's not a good picture, right? Okay, cool. So, we so maybe... out some of that. Yeah, maybe what we can do is let's look at uh, the good of uh, uh, of uh, school evaluation. I mean, nobody likes it. Uh, evaluation seems to be a bad word. And uh, after you talk about who, uh, who brings, I think nobody wants to do that anymore. But I think there are some good uh, reasons why we should really look at uh, school evaluation. And I think what... Or, and I think maybe to, to to put this in context or to set the frame, uh, it is very different from when we was uh, when I was a student at least, uh, and that's because I think it's gone from fault finding, uh, and, and 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 you need to correct me on this. Uh, it's gone from fault finding to really a lot more of self evaluation and then looking for areas of improvement. Is that a fair comment? Hundred percent. That's what I felt really strongly in Singapore. That it was about kind of you know look, everything in life is evaluation. We evaluate you know we're evaluating climate change damage at the moment, aren't we? We're you know we're evaluating everything. So evaluation is a good thing, and it, it, it doesn't have to have this horrible connotation. I was always kind of happy um, um, to be evaluated as a teacher, but I want that evaluation to be based on one sound criteria, and secondly, um, to um, recognise that if I'm making um, genuine attempts to learn, that that is kind of recognised, and there's a supportive process. Equally, if teachers, and not just teachers, but anybody, if people are not trying to do their job, if people are not interested particularly in their job and they're being minimalistic, then they deserve to face those consequences. So, you know, the, you know this word evaluation is about fact finding. It's how we fact find the methodology. What I found uh, that I saw a lot of in the UK historically in England was people coming in looking to find something let's you know you know it's a bit like the uh, there's an analogy in cognitive science that it only takes one cockroach to ruin the appeal of an old bunch of cherries but one cherry will not enhance or sorry will not mitigate the, you know the kind of pungency of a bowl of cockroaches so when teachers and school principals fear that these characters are coming in and looking to find stuff, then right away it's, you know, it, it doesn't really create um, those kind of collaborative relationships. Whereas in Singapore, the folk that went in, and I worked with you know, a lot of the people in Singapore, and to me they were all really bright people. They were good quality. They, they, they knew pedagogy. They were people who'd read the research. They weren't coming in. Oh, well, I'm a constructivist. And, you know, if I don't see all this individual stuff and learning styles, you know, I'm going to whack somebody kind of mentality. They were much more, um, I think, pedagogically uh, literate. And also people who were going in and, you know, they could read the situation. They knew if, if there was something not working because people are not making the effort or whatever and they would address that it wasn't about they weren't prepared to be hard but it was based on fairness and openness and schools and teachers know that you know it was their responsibility to to do their best and if they're doing their best and they're working right and but they're you know they're finding they haven't got enough resources here or they're struggling with implementing something then there was a there was a kind of dialogue and if if the when we come in, if we couldn't help them, you know, we weren't then blaming them. We're saying, well, you know, this is a problem that we need to continually research more on. That that's my frame on that. 
Yeah, perfect. So I think really, uh, I totally agree with you. Uh, when you take away the punitive aspects of it, you know, like this is how bad you are as opposed to, uh, look, why don't you tell us how good you are and then what could be areas for improvement? Uh, the whole mindset starts to shift uh, and they tend to see evaluation as more enabling rather than more, uh, you know, punishing or punitive. So I think one of the, and, and to set, uh, having said that, I think one of the things that maybe uh, why most, um, if not all schools, should continue to adopt that model so that evaluation doesn't become too stressful for the teachers and for the students. Uh, but I think what's more important is when you allow, and, and I do believe this sincerely, that the moment you allow schools the opportunity, time and space to reflect and self-evaluate their practice, automatically I feel that you know that's when they are starting to look at possibly innovating their teaching practice. They become a little bit more bold, a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, having the guts to try something new because they know they are not going to be punished for it because results may drop. Uh, your, your frame on that then? Yeah, 100% because the, um, the thing is, if, um, if schools are put in situations where what the expectations are, particularly with lots of I, um, I-stakes testing that goes on in the UK, if these are not realistic, then what happens is you know, that schools, personnel, teachers, principals get scared and they don't want to admit to the fact that we don't have enough resources or it's not achievable. It's a bit like taking over, managing a, a, a Division 2 side who've got not a lot of money and that is, you know, the shareholders are saying, well, you know, you, you've got to be in the premiership in, in, in three years, but we're not giving you any money. So what do you do? You know, it's fear, 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 isn't it? Um, so, um, and, and I do think that there, there is... There is a real kind of the things that are going on in schools that people know about that are almost non-discussable that mitigate against good practice that nobody really wants to face up to those because it's, you know, it's sort of, oh, well, we've got to go along with this ideological thing that all kids can achieve everything quickly, even though we don't have the resources, even though it's unrealistic in the time spans. And that leads then to people kind of just creating lots of measures and saying we're doing this, we're ticking this box and that box, but in reality, it's not happening. Or just saying that we don't have enough resources and we can't do it. So, you know, um, what are you going to do about it? Kind of, Are you going to help us? Yeah. So, as, as I think, uh, you know, in light of, again, I don't want to make this sound as if it is because of the pandemic. It, it is not really. It's just that the pandemic accelerated the process. Uh, and that is where I think most teachers now really recognize the importance of being innovative, but in a more evidence sort of way, uh, evidence-based sort of way, what actually works in the classroom. So uh, I think what we are also going to, to look at in terms of the good for uh, if school appraisal or evaluation is, I think this is also an opportunity for us to learn from best practices. Uh, and I think if we do that, uh, and I think even the, the polytechnics or the IHLs in Singapore actually do have uh, a kind of evaluation. It's called the PQAF or the polytechnics, which is Polytechnic Quality Assurance Framework. Uh, and that's when a report comes out. Um, and I think besides telling us where we have done very well, you know, after the self-evaluation, the report, and what we can do better, uh, it also is an opportunity for us to maybe uh, getting to learn from one another and sharing of best practices and of expert knowledge. You think if this is made available, it would help all the other institutions look at, oh, this is what institution is doing better, uh, and maybe I can copy that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually... It's actually madness not to follow that model because if you take, say, the COVID thing, I mean, the one thing that come out of the COVID thing was yep. that when you have a superordinate goal, right, which was to come up with a vaccine, that within six to nine months, different countries across the world put in a massive shift and did that. Under normal conditions, if there wasn't that massive pressure uh, uh, to and everybody working together, that could have gone on for 20 years. Of, oh, we've got to have red tape here and there's got to be this and whatever. So, again, if you've got an educational system where 
everybody's open. We all want to give the students the best learning opportunities. We want to teach in ways that are most effective in terms of understanding of you know best practices and human learning. We want to use technology in effective and efficient ways to enhance the learning process. And we want a culture in the school where everybody's learning. Uh, you know, the, the, the teachers are learning, the students are learning, there's good relationships between students and teachers. There's a strong sense of responsibility. And that's what I felt you had in Singapore. The idea of responsibility. If I look at the UK system, there's too much about rights and kind of linguistic things and not enough focus on responsibility. And um, I think that's a, a fundamental thing that the UK education system's got to um, uh, have. There's too much of finding faults with something blame inquiries and without really looking at the more systemic things that can be done and what's much much more important so um whereas um uh, you know singapore is just open on that in my opinion there are people in around who say how can you say singapore is more open well i can i lived there and i worked in the education system all levels for 25 years and if i compare it with what i see in the uk generally not at you know individual levels. Um, uh, I know where I would. Uh, I know what system that I would um, benchmark myself against. Right. Okay. So that's good. Um, I think there's one that we that you shared, which I thought was quite interesting. Maybe you might want to elaborate on this, which is one of the good things about doing school evaluation or school appraisal is solving solvable problems. What does that mean from your context then? Well, what we know is, see, when people now, it's something that really worries me a bit is that <laughs> when we're talking about the school curriculum, right, um, that knowledge is increasing kind of ex- stuff. That, but when I look at, like, say, the, um, the British school curriculum, it's like there's just too much content knowledge. Whereas, do you remember, we're thinking schools learning notion. Yeah. And we're going back 20 20- there was a recognition that let's look at our content and i understand teachers are passionate about their subject and think you've got to teach a lot of it the truth is if you go through lots of subjects there are key concepts that are fundamental to understanding i mean if you take say history for example you know when i learned history to me it just seemed like a collection of facts that spoke for themselves and i'm just memorizing lots of dates uh, if I look at history now, history is such a relevant, powerful subject, but it should be about what, you know, what is historical analysis? It's about certain people in certain positions at certain times with certain values writing about certain things. It's storytelling. And what history should be about is looking at some key stories, but understanding historical analysis, that it's people in positions with perspectives. It's not a collection of facts that speak for itself. So if I was teaching, if I was having a history course, Curriculum. I want now just memorizing all the corn laws and the trade union laws, the constitutional structures. Let's learn something about what this all means to know all these offices. Something politics and it boils down to certain questions about the society. You know, you've got this left wing and right political Jurassic Park. Really, but it still pervades. Um, most people who have done, um, um, you know, sort of politics will probably not really know the the basis of these different kind of things. They just say, oh, the left is about kind of you know, unions and socialism. The right is about dictatorship. It, it's not quite really like that. Um, and I think a lot, I'm not saying that that is not a model, but I think we, we can move to a much more kind of, evidence-based approach to politics, which I, I felt, you know, was the case in Singapore. People say to me, is Singapore left-wing, right-wing? I said, no, it's not either. It just seems to, you know, Singapore talks about being pragmatic, doesn't it? And what that means to me is that, you know, you've got to have, like in Singapore, a good example, cars are very expensive. So you could say, well, that favours the rich who can have cars. Yeah, it does. But it also recognises that the majority of the population still, you know, it's still good that they have, good transport system that's why your mrt system is arguably the best in the world so 
it's like, it's, you know, so is it a left-wing policy to have a superb public transport system? Um, well, to me, it's not left or right. I think everybody should have a good public transport system. But unless you're going to have some communist system where everybody has got to be stripped to the same level, and you can't do that anyway, then... Um, nothing works so you do have people that have more money and you know they can still travel on the uh i, I prefer traveling on the public transport system than driving my expensive car so you know this you know there's i think we in education it used to be old oh, traditional education you know kind of the students have got to sit there quiet and you know reading writing arithmetic and then you had the progressives which i think are becoming increasingly influential oh we'll let the kids do what they're like you can't have discipline and you can't do this and you mustn't do that um both of those models have some kind of merit. What you want is kids who take responsibility, kids who learn to self-regulate, and you know, teachers who, again, are um, able to have very strong pedagogic skills so that we can get students to learn stuff that maybe students don't like learning, but try to make the learning more intrinsically motivated. It's a complex job. So that's where I think it needs to draw much more on the science of learning, which is what um, we were doing in Singapore, rather than having very naive paradigms. It's this, so it's the teacher, the sage on the side, um, uh, sorry, the sage on the stage and guide on the side. Good teachers do both and they do it in a situated manner, you know, and they focus it around objectives. And that's what makes teaching potentially such a challenging eye profession. Unfortunately, um, that's not the case, um, you know, across the board. I mean, it, it, you know, I've worked with thousands of teachers like you and some are superb, you know, some are not so good. And um, educational institutions, um, I think Singapore, if I, you know, someone said to me, where would you get the best consistency uh, in an education system? Um, I certainly say Singapore, um, Finland for different reasons as well, and possibly uh, Ontario in Canada. Everybody else is, um, you know, is working their way. I'm not saying there isn't the intention to do that, but it makes sense to look at the best practices in the system, uh, you know, in terms of the things that we're talking about, solving problems, you know, um, good teachers, good principals, um, sharing best practices, communities of learning, driving fear out. Obviously, if teachers are working in the school and they don't want to work and they're being minimalistic and they don't care, well, they shouldn't be in the system. Yeah. But you know, it's it, you know most teachers want to do a good job. They want to learn and they want to do a good job. But if they get bombarded with lots of stuff that is draining them and they don't have those opportunities, then like everybody else, you're habituate and you a lot of the good teachers leave, which is sad. You know, yeah. and that's what we don't want. We don't want you know, the good teachers leaving, and then we've got an increasing pool of teachers who are not so good, not so motivated. And all we're going to try and do is impose more and more administrative quality control. You know, it it, it it's it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm going to to to, to just share a, a a thought, uh, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, one of the other good reasons why we would want to do a school appraisal is we allow for future learning and improvement. Um, while that's a good point, uh, would it, and my concern would be is, isn't this going to possibly lead to another arms race, if I can give use that analogy, and then teachers just get overloaded a bit more. So I'm, I'm now going to lean a little bit more into the, this is a bit grey, this might be a bad, might be an ugly. Do you think that will happen then? Well, yeah, the thing is, look, I mean, it, 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 you can't keep... Um, giving people more and more and more to do more is not better better is better so if you want to have a perf you want to have a good um teacher force you need to have the kind of things that you know what i saw in singapore where teachers don't get caught up in lots of stuff um that creates 20 plus hours of work outside of planning lessons sharing practices and and being really good at what they do you can't have that and lots of other stuff so yeah. um you, you've got to split that up 
you know, look, look at football teams now uh, with players because the game, what's kind of interesting, use a football analogy because we like those and it makes sense. Um, I remember the days in when football players were able to kick each other a lot more, but they never seemed to get injured as much. You know, you get the odd broken leg and that, but you didn't seem, you know, players didn't seem to be permanently on the physiotherapist's couch. The reason they are today is because, you know, some managers, I think Arsene Wenger was one of them, funny enough, for Arsenal, who realised that if you've got super fit guys and you're getting fit and you've got good diets and good psychology, then that they're going to perform better. And that's true. So now every team, you know, worth its salt says, right, we've got to get our players super fit. So it becomes a fitness thing that you get your players fit as the others and then the others start saying well we've got to get a bit more and that's why uh, the game is played at such speed and turning and that but the problem with that is when those players are stretching or they collide they're tearing tendons and all these kind of things so you're kind of getting to a stage where that a lot of these top players um are going to get injured a lot because of the speed and the you know their ability to kind of be athletes and more you stretch these tendons and things that you know you get more injuries so i think with our education system we don't want an arms race because that will get stressful but we want yeah. to build you know what um um michael Follett and um Arga, i think it's Follett and Argus talked about as um professional capital we want to build a very solid solid expert teacher teaching base you know, good leadership, good collaboration. We want to build it incrementally, but not have teachers um, working 70, 80 hours a week and getting stressed out and saying, I can't do this. So you've got to balance the movement towards expertise and what is realistic. Um, and, um, you know, with um, you know, a proper professional development and a proper vision of education, but not make it so it's, the expectations are unrealistic. And when the inspectors come in, you've either got to lie, tick boxes or hide. And we don't want that. We want to be able to say, look, this is what we're achieving. Uh, this is what we're not achieving. This is what we'd like to achieve. And how can you help us? Now, that, that's where the school and teachers should be coming from. And these people coming in are looking at the evidence carefully and saying, well, yeah, you are doing a good job here. Maybe here you can do this. And here you, you don't seem to be making any effort. Give us some reasons for this. And if you, if a school can't give reasons that are, um, you know, based on evidence, then yeah, they deserve to, you know, have some negative comments being made. It's as simple as that, but that's that, that should run through all appraisal in all organisations, shouldn't it? Whether you're talking about the health service, the education service, or any organisation that's properly run. Yeah. So I'm going to end off the good part with the one that I particularly like, uh, which is building communities of learning and action research. And I don't think we do enough of this because uh, mostly, uh, and, and it's not an attempt to diss uh, the Singapore schools, no. I think it's uh, we, we are very practical people. So when the report comes back, oh, this is what we need to improve, so let's go ahead and do this. Uh, but instead of doing that as a, as a remedy, uh, I would like to think that maybe what we can do is really get the teachers to lead this instead, especially if it's a t- teaching and learning uh, area for improvement, uh, and get them to do action research on it, get them to do you know, lesson studies, get them to work with their peers and maybe even work with uh, teachers from other schools. Uh, all this sounds nice, of course, because we do know that the workload of teachers in Singapore is ridiculous uh, and I want to acknowledge that. Uh, but uh, maybe it, it's, it's, it's a concept, it's an idea that maybe we can do that instead of like letting management drive that process. Uh, do, do you think that would be a good way to you know uh, take advantage of uh, areas for improvement? Then? Oh, absolutely, because all of those things are vehicles, platforms, tools, methodologies of improving practice right across any any field that you like. But the system has got to um, create conditions where that can be done and not just a token thing. Um, I mean, uh, when I was in Singapore, you know, that, that was going on. And, you know, in a sense, when you're saying to me, even in Singapore with, you know, everything that we've said about Singapore, it's still struggling to do that. It shows you how challenging it is to get that, but that becomes a regulatory ideal, I think. And if at least if people know that, if schools are saying, yeah, we're trying to get more teachers involved in this, yes, we have a learning community for curriculum, you know, that, you, that, that there is a, you know, it's a little bit like you know, the metamorphosis from 
tadpole to frogs. Sorry, spawn to frogs. If you keep going into schools and it's always at the spawn stage, there's no tadpoles emerging. Like, start saying, well, something's systemically wrong. And, you know, that could be fault of the school management or it could be a fault of the fact that they're, they're, they're in a wider educational context that is so badly organised or even toxic. So... Um, that's a great regulatory ideal. I think now what we what we do have is a model of excellence in education. It's a question of, and what all the components are. Um, it's a question of how do we build it in perhaps times of less budgets um, and various things. It's always going to be a regulatory ideal, but um, school inspection, what everyone would call it, schools appraisal, you know, you can call it whatever. People coming in have got to be really knowledgeable about education systems and pedagogy, uh, not coming in with kind of an administrative kind of industrial model. And um, schools themselves have got to be honest and say, look, you know, th there are areas here that we're really struggling with because, and these you know, need to be addressed. And these are some of the things we'd like to do, but we don't have resources, time. How might you share practices from other schools that could help us gradually um, you know, evolve into, you know, a decent frog, whatever a decent frog is, or one that you can eat with chili sauce, right? Um, <laughs> no, we don't eat, you, you know. no, Dad, we don't eat chili frogs. We eat frog's legs, not chili frogs. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to test your culinary skills. Yeah, I, you <laughs> know, I remember the first time I think I ate frogs was in, in Asia somewhere, and I'm like, oh, dear, this doesn't seem a good idea. But once I'd eaten some of them, like, um, yeah, they're okay. Um, expensive for what they are, but there you go. That's a subjective thing, isn't it? Right. Okay. So let's. Okay. So that wraps up the good part. Uh, and we have about maybe ten more minutes. Let's talk a little bit about the ugly. I know we did talk about it a bit uh, earlier, uh, where we tried to set the context for this. Um, and I did talk about or allude to you know uh, for improvement, and then this might create an arms race. So in your opinion, right? Maybe not so much the ugly, but what else can we do to improve the experience of uh, a school-based evaluation of appraisal? I mean, we do have the self the self uh, 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 evaluation system right now, and then the inspectors come to validate it. Uh, in your mind, what could be another kind of uh, what what could be another kind of uh, uh, model you you think for school appraisal? Well, I think we've outlined. I mean, when we talked about the good, in a sense, all the good things are areas that we'd want to have and what we don't want is a kind of industrial model to education yeah like ISO I mean I remember in Singapore it crept into the schools a bit didn't it and I thought oh no please don't do this and then I think it got recognized um that, you, it, 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 that that's not an approach you know you're going in and you're finding that you know a version of a document is not the same version that kind of thing that education is a much more kind of ethnographic thing that you know like when you watch people teach right yeah. you know you can sit there with your checklist and you yeah. can probably put ticks in there and you say yeah okay the person yeah they're okay at this they're okay that and they they pass but you don't think sometimes you think but i don't think i'd employ that teacher you know what i mean you get other yeah. people who kind of get in the way you know knock something over or you know something like that that you you can't put a tick in the box but you think that person they're going to be a really good teacher with a little bit of you know help and training right so i think you know the, the model you got to have in going into school and this has got to come from the um the people doing the appraisal system and it's got to be fully understand understood and transparent by the schools that you have sets of criteria that you want to see now for example um for me if i go into a school and i say to the principal and i say to teachers what's your basis for designing lessons and they say oh well i just um i, I just um I just do what I always do. I said, well, okay, if I'm going to tell them what you always do. Now, if they can't give me some pedagogic lo um, logic, like, well, first of all, I try to, you know, know the student profile. I don't let that be a determiner, but I then activate their prior knowledge. I try to then um, give them 
um, a purpose for the course. I try to make it make you know encourage students to see that this is worth learning. I try to make it um, manageable in chunks. I have transitions. These guys. I try to get them to you know do some critical thinking. And if I say, what does that mean? Don't tell me think out of the box. Tell me. Well, I teach them how to analyze things. You know, in in the, my subject like this. You know, I get them to do comparison contrast. I get them to make the inference in terms. And I might say, well, give us some examples, and they can show me examples. Lesson, you know, lesson plans or or whatever. I want to see people show me they've got a good understanding. Just like if I was a mechanical engineer and I say, how does this engine work? I'd expect them to be able to tell me what the parts are and what the subsystems are and why the thing works or doesn't work, right? Yeah. You know, uh, so it's 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 having a good, if you like, theoretical framework that is not an algorithm, but is a set of good guiding principles that we know from years of research, you know, that, tend to work we know that if students develop a, a positive attitude a positive belief what carol dweck talked about growth mindset if the students are feeling that with effort that they can be successful that's a pretty good thing rather than students say well I, you know I'm, I'm a thick kid i'm not very good and not much point in me making that you've got all the kids saying that it's a bit of a worry isn't it so i think we can have some much clearer evidence-based heuristics about what constitutes um, good teaching, learning, curriculum, and also human conduct. I think what's been lost a lot in England, instead of having core values of kind, let's try and be kind, let's try to be gracious, there's more an obsession with micro-political correctness that, in a sense, uh, that's going on, but that, that it's, it's not really impacting the, the core values of responsibility, kindness, graciousness which i saw in singapore and that 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 model worked to me and the model that they're using in the uk with um constant every time you turn the news on there's talk of discrimination and this and that and in the end like i, I don't think that works in fact i'm absolutely convinced it doesn't it, it's got to work at the basic behavioral level of core values well you know i don't i mean most people don't walk around looking at kind of race and gender um they're looking at are, are people worthwhile i mean in employment that generally speaking most people will take on the best person but when you have this constant barrage that we have in England of discrimination everybody's dead scared now and it, it's becoming really counterproductive i think and I think the evidence is really out there. Not that many people in the uh, UK <laughs> would want to admit to that. And there's reasons for that that I think, you know, are kind of worrying. Right. So with honest. that, yeah. So with that and uh, from what we talked about in terms of a self-evaluation model uh, and then giving the teachers some form of autonomy, uh, it may be leading the improvements rather than a top-down approach. Uh, maybe make it a action uh, research approach, which I which I love. Uh, but again, uh, all this is sounds good on paper. Uh, the the pain or the reality will always come when we actually try and execute it um, uh, on the ground because you know teachers are all very busy people. So I think that should wrap up this section or segment for. Uh, the week, uh, and that's our take on school appraisal or school evaluation. Uh, yeah, so now we'll move on to my favourite part of the segment, as always, uh, where we share a little bit about something that maybe we have read, something that we have, um, you know, come across, watched, uh, maybe a YouTube video on teaching and learning, or it could even be an experience that you would have had uh, over the course of, uh, I would like to say the week, but actually it's been several weeks since we have, uh, we, we have uh, talked. So, Anything interesting or inspiring that you came across? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really honest, Mark, because I yeah. think kind of if we, if we if we do these kind of podcasts, we and we talk about evidence base. Uh, I, I I'm just kind of really kind of I can't think of. Uh, I mean, the most positive thing I think I've seen in the last. Uh, few days is jack Grealish communicating with that young lad who oh, okay. had cerebral palsy and i thought yeah. okay okay jack you know your pr person might say do that but i'm, I'm not going to be cynical and you know and i think it's you know anybody you know can say something but at least yeah, i thought that was that was a really nice thing for jack to do okay. and i also think he should be in the uh, first 11 as well because it, it's those kind of acts of 
kindness and it seemed to be authentic that I, I think it's such great kind of things for people to do and it's a kind of like Christmas is coming up and it's a season of goodwill and I always say hold on why are we having a season of goodwill for a couple of days as though <laughs> the rest of the time that's not have goodwill so I'm kind of worried you know about kind of things we seem to not have a a consistent focus on things that are genuinely positive it just I just listen to the news and I just I hear so much kind of whinging on kind of UK TV uh, and a lot of that whinging probably is um I don't know I, I just yeah. you know like me you know we're, we're kind of quite stoical there's just too much whinging rather than saying well okay you know life is tough and we've got to get used to this and there's people in other countries you know when we talk about cost of living the big thing in England, oh the cost of living is going up yes it is but in other countries you know like in the philippines and indonesia we've seen people having to you know um, have much harder times but i don't seem to whinge as much i think i'm getting a little bit kind of fed up of sort of whinging from people you know i'm talking i'm talking in the uk context here. just watching the news and watching programs rather than you know let's look at let's look at people taking responsibility and there is some good things going on but it seems to be like individuals like there's a guy um uh, who, uh, who is supporting um motor neuron disease running uh like seven or eight marathons in the day there's a lot of good things going on and but we just seem to have too much whinging and the whinging is getting me nerves a bit because i just don't think it's you know being the story says well let's not overdo it you know when things are good let's enjoy it but let's not win so much okay that's all i can so, say i'm just giving you an honest frame yeah so i have a tool that uh, i found uh and to be honest i've not actually played it because i just came across it uh, it's called Blue Kit. It's pronounced Blue Kit, but it's uh, spelled B-L-O-O-K-E-T. Uh, and the tagline is Learning Reimagine. And I'm going to read it off uh, verbatim. Uh, it says, Welcome to the world of Blue Kit, a new take on trivia and review games. The way it works is that a teacher host picks a question set and a unique game mode. Then we generate a code that players can use to join the game on their own devices. After the game starts, players will answer questions to help them win. That's where the fun starts because we offer a variety of games to keep students engaged and excited. So I'm actually quite interested to figure this out. I'm not sure what it is because I just came across it. Uh, yeah, so I'll put the link uh, in the show notes for you to try it out. And if you do try it out and uh, you find it interesting, then drop us an email to tell us what your experience is. Having said that, our email is uh, evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. Once again, evidencebasedcreativeteaching at gmail.com. Do write to us if you have a question or, you know, uh, if you would like to be on the podcast. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe we have not uh, reminded everyone of. Uh, if you are interested, you want to talk, you want to have a chat with us, please do drop us an email and then we will set this up so that you can come in and share your experiences. So that's it. It's done and dusted, and it's now on to Germany versus Japan. Any last words, then? Um, <laughs> I, just, well, I, just, I don't know whether to think about the education thing or the result. Now, the, 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 the last words I think that you're saying is that what we try to do in these podcasts is really to look at the evidence and yeah. show that it's often very messy, and um, that but there's always we wouldn't do this if we weren't fundamentally optimistic and we have to be, even though sometimes you kind of think, Oh, you know, this is a, a bit of a slog, but life's a bit of a slog. So why shouldn't educational um, systems be a bit of a slog as well? And I think Germany against Japan could be a bit of a slog for the Germans. Uh, but <laughs> I, I always fancy the Germans to sneak in the last five minutes. Yeah. That's always Germany for you. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode. Uh, and once again, please do us a favor and do like and share this podcast. So have a great week ahead. Do enjoy the rest of the World Cup uh, and we'll talk to you soon. So take care and goodbye. Yeah, and it's ditto from me on that one. Goodbye. <laughs>